Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Today, we're going to continue on our series called All In, A Life of a Steward. And the idea of this is learning what it means to be a steward and what's involved with that. Um, But before we dive into today's topic, I just want to recap on the last couple of weeks. For some of you have missed that, and sometimes good just to have a refresher of what that was so we can all be on the same page. And we began with three words that we were going to uh, memorize for this series. And those words at the bottom there was master, steward, and faithful. And just above that was a memory verse. And uh, we said here in this first couple of weeks, we learned that there are two economies going on in the world right now. There's the world's economy and there's God's economy. And the problem with the worldly economy is that I treat money as if it was mine. I treat it as if it was mine and I live as though my life is mine and everything in it is mine and yet it's not mine. In God's economy, which is what I've chosen to live in as a Christian, uh, in God's economy, nothing is mine. I don't own anything. It's all God's and he is my master. In fact, it says that he is, um, we have to be found faithful as stewards. It says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful with God's money. So if I'm a Christian, there's no option for me to live in the world's economy. And this is saying to me here that there's a spiritual connection between the finances in my life and possessions in my life and worldly wealth in my life and my spiritual life. And sometimes we don't like to make that connection. We want to say, no, that's mine. I'm holding on to that bit. And that's the last part we normally give to God in a life of surrender is our finances. We, we work hard for it. We live. We want more of it. We strive for more. We try to earn more so that we can have more. And that's my part of my life. And I don't surrender that bit to God. But God says, no, none of it is yours. In fact, he says in Luke 16, 11, if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, then who will entrust with you the true riches of heaven? And Jesus here is equating that how we handle money, how we handle the possessions in our life and worldly wealth in our life is going to have a connection to how we have manage our spiritual life and how God is going to bless us in our spiritual life. It's saying if we're unfaithful, with worldly wealth, how can we be entrusted with the true spiritual riches? There's a definite connection here. And if you really think about that, it's very challenging because it's a mindset shift. It's a way we think about this has to shift. Um, It's saying that it's challenging because that means every investing and saving decision that we make, every, you know, giving decision that we make, every financial decision that we make, even the little decisions that we make are spiritual decisions because there's a connection to our spiritual life, because God cares about this part of our life as well. It's almost like he's testing our heart in this area of finances. And so it's important because every little decision we make is a spiritual decision. Why? Because God owns it all and he's entrusting us to be stewards. God is our master, I am a steward, and the scripture says it's required of me that I be found faithful with his stuff. So we're to give up claim of ownership of everything, and that is a mind shift. That's a complete different way of thinking. It's a different economy and God wants to be the Lord of our lives and wants to be the master of every area of our life. We need to start praying, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? Instead of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? It's a different way of praying. Everything in our culture opposes this view. And if God is your master 
then the word that would best describe me is the word steward. And the word steward in the Greek can be translated as the word manager or overseer or supervisor. That's a pretty important role that I'm playing with God's stuff. I'm managing and overseeing and supervising God's stuff while I'm living here on this planet, on this side of eternity. And it's a great responsibility for all of us to manage the master's possessions because it needs to be managed well. He's trusting us with that. And God has given you authority to do that as a steward. And a steward has only one responsibility, and that is that we are faithful. That's it. All I have to be is faithful. And we need to be faithful with what God wants us to look after while we're here on earth. And to be faithful means in every area of our life, we need to spend wisely and work hard and earn with integrity and avoid debt where we can and save consistently and give generously. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago with the Macedonians who would give out of their need, not just out of their abundance. So having the heart of a generous giver and then being content. And last Sunday, I spoke about contentment as being part of our identity in Christ that we're, if, we, if the spirit of Christ is living within us, we can be content in Christ. And so we're to be faithful, but we need to be faithful with 100% of what God has given us, not just the 10% that we think we should give to God as a tithe or something like that. God wants us to be faithful with everything. And today I want to show you a, a giving plan. I want to show you God's giving plan from the Old Testament and how they lived God's people lived, how God's people faithfully ordered their money. And so right now I want you to all put on your thinking caps because this is going to be having a little bit of a deep dive into a giving plan that the Old Testament, that the, um, the believers of God had. And we need to have a plan, amen? If you don't have a plan for your finances, guess what? It'll all happen by accident. And if everything's just happening by accident, trust me, it's one accident after one accident after one accident, true? If it's not a plan in place, and we call that a budget these days, then it's going to be an accident. Nothing is done on purpose. Everything's done by accident. But when we have a budget, we know that it's a deeper way of living with finances because it's done on purpose. We are giving or living with our finances with a purpose. But I think what I'm going to talk about today is even far deeper than a budget because when you look at the world's economy, they do budgets. What we're doing today is having a look at not just a budget, but a plan. And God's plan, God's plans prevail. God's plans have purpose. They're not just budgets. We're looking at God's word. And in the first week of this series, I spoke about, you may remember the word, sadaka, the sadaka spirit. And in the Hebrew word for a generous spirit is the word used sadaka. And now this is how you define sadaka. It's There's two answers to this one. There's one meaning that simply says, are you a generous person? Are you sadaka? That's a generous person. It's a bit vague though, but it's all about being a person of charity. It's saying that the righteousness within us through Christ is going to come out of us through being a generous person. A righteous person is a generous person. We get that. Righteousness, sadak. Generosity, sadaka. A righteous person is generous, is how it seems in the Hebrew 
language. The Hebrew people had this working definition of assist, and it was a system that they had for their money and how they handled money. And I want to show you this system and how they lived by that. And some even continue to live by that today. When I was a teenager, I went on a high school camp. My daughter loves going on the same camps, continues on, and she's there now. But it was a long time ago for me. I was in this high school camp, and I remember the preacher uh, talking to us as young adults and youth as having a, implementing a uh, financial plan for your life. And he called it the 10-10-80 plan. Has anyone ever heard of the 10-10-80 plan? The 10-10-80 plan. And it was a great thing to learn back in those days as a young person because he was trying to give us kids some financial wisdom to live by, to be generous and to give, to be wise and to save and to live on the rest. He was saying give 10% to God, save 10% and, and live on the rest. And I thought, oh, well, that makes good sense. And I always remembered that talk. All through my life, Christian life, I've remembered that talk. Give 10%, save 10%, live on the rest. And this plan I learned back in high school was actually almost, almost what the Hebrews, the Hebrew people lived, but not quite. You see, they had some other elements to it that I'd never learned before. See, the 10 to 80 plan is a worldly plan. But what I'm going to share with you today is how the Hebrews lived. Some parts of that plan were very, very deeply important to them. And I want to show you something as I learned more about this that absolutely fascinated me. What they did is they lived in a circle on a square. They effectively lived in a circle on a square. Now, the area inside a circle, inside a square, is, does anyone know the percentage? It's 79%, okay, 79%. That's maths. It works perfectly here. The illustration from agriculture which is what I'll show you as we go through this. Their financial system went like this. Two and a half percent was given into the hands of the priest. They bring it, they give it to the hands of the priest. It was called the Teruma offering. Anyone heard of the word Teruma? The Teruma offering, two and a half percent put into the hands of the priest. And then a tenth of what was left after that, so 97 and a half, a tenth of that was given to the church or to the, to the temple. And then a tenth of what was after that 10% after that was given to themselves. It was a self-tithe to care for their own needs. And then they would live on the rest, which is how much? 79%. They'd live on 79%. So by living with this Sadaka system, the priest was cared for, their spiritual leaders were cared for, the church was cared for, the needs of the church were cared for, the poor were cared for, and the giver was cared for by their savings. And they would live on the rest, always living within their means on 79%. They hated debt. They didn't need to go into debt because they had more than enough savings because they lived within their means because they lived in a circle on a square. And the principle of this was simple. If your first fruits were in the right hands, then the rest would be blessed. So if they bring their first fruits to the priest to be blessed, then the rest will be blessed. And if the tithe was in the church, then all the needs of the ministry would be met in the church. And if the tithe went to yourself, then you'd have enough savings for those special needs over your lifetime and for your children's inheritance. And as you give away every third tithe to yourself to the poor, then all the poor people's needs will be met as well. And this is a system that they had of managing their lives as stewards of God's stuff that he entrusted to them 
and it was called the Sadaka giving system, a plan, a giving plan. And it's a system of generosity that God gave them and that they just lived by. So let's just make this practical. On $1,000, the first thing that you would do is give the teruma. Now, remember, they'd call that living in the circle on a square. They call this a teruma. Circle inside a square, 79%, so $1,000 income. Then they take the first 2.5%, which is 1 40th of $1,000, which is $25. First $25, they bring to the priest. It's their first fruits offering. You've heard that name? First fruits offering. They bring this, and it goes to the pastor, the priest. I'm not saying for you all to bring your teruma to me. The church pays me an income or a salary. Okay, but you can give, if you'd like to go by this system, you can give it into the church income and it gets budgeted and so on to provide for the leaders of the church. So the 140th of $25 would go to the priest. The priest would hold it up and pray over it and bless the rest. This was how they knew that the rest of their finances were going to be blessed. Then the next tenth would go to the church, which would be 90, uh, $98, 10%. On, uh, on that would be $98, and we're not going to go to $97.50 because we're a, we're a Sadaka people. We'll round it up to $98. We're a generous people, amen? So we'll go to $98. And after, it makes it easier for the maths, actually. All right. Now, after you pay a second tithe, after that, you would pay a second tithe to yourself. So another 10% on that, which brings it to $88, and that leaves you with $789. $789 is exactly 79% of $1,000, and it's exactly a circle in a square. So the maths comes into play here. Perfectly matches the illustration from agriculture and how the Hebrew people lived. It's almost like they got a message from somewhere. Hey, God, this is God's system of giving from the Old Testament. We can read about it. And I want to break this down a little bit more for you now, the Sadaka system, the system of Sadaka. Teruma, let's talk about it again. The first thing that they do with their money, they bring the teruma. It's given to the priest. It's called teruma. It was the smallest offering. The smallest offering was actually the holiest of offerings because it was the first offering. It was primary offering. It was what sanctified everything else. And next week, Tim is going to share. He's going to get up and preach for us, which was great. And I've asked him to preach on putting God first. In our life, and this is part of it, the principle of first. In their world, to tithe without giving a teruma didn't make sense. The very thing that sanctified the tithe was the teruma, and the teruma was very small, it was 140th, but in today's terms, as we said, like $25 on a thousand. But it was set apart for the Lord's teruma offering. And you might hear this called the offering of first fruits. In Hebrew culture, the first fruits had to be done first, the teruma, in, in order for everything else to be blessed or sanctified. For it to become teruma, two things had to happen. It had to be lifted high, and then it had to be placed into the hands of the priest, and the priest would pray a blessing. So they lifted it high, essentially saying, I give this gift to you, God, and then God will bless as they prayed. The first fruits belong to God. When the first fruits was lifted high and placed into the hands of the priest, that teruma offering, that first fruits offering was made holy, which sanctified the rest of their crop. Who here has ever heard of the teruma offering? One person, two people, okay. This is mentioned three times more in the Bible than the word tithe. 
It's mentioned 87 times. And the problem is that the English translators have translated this same word 13 different ways. And if you translate something 13 different ways, it's going to dilute its importance down so much to the point we don't even know what teruma is. Okay, let's talk about tithe to the church. They would take the next tenth of what was left and they would give it to their church. And I'm putting this into today's terms now. Here's how they detailed and paid their tithes. They would harvest their crops. They would place their crop on top of their animals and they'd just number them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And they tenth. And they take the one random out, put it in the pile, tithe pile. And they would take that to the church. They would bring it to the tithe pile and bring it to the storehouse. And that's what provided to the ministry and the work of God. And then they did a tithe to self, 10%. They would pay the next tenth to themselves. They were commanded to give the next tenth to themselves. It says in some places that it says, every year bring the tithe of that year's increase into my house so there's food for my house for the Levites to take care of. That's the tithe to the church. And then it says in other places, every year you should bring a tenth and save it, store it up for your feasts and festivals and inheritance to your children's children. So they were commanded to not only give a tenth, but commanded to save a tenth, giving and saving. Reminded me of the 10-10-80 plan. Why would they do that? Well, a couple of reasons. One, to save up for their feasts and festivals, which are important to them. And, and then it says what was left over from their feasts and festivals, they'd trade it for silver and gold, and they'd save it for an inheritance for their children and their children's children. Sounds like a great plan of wisdom, doesn't it? Imagine if you had saved 10% your whole life. How much money would you have? And then, of course, when you die and leave it to your children, and your children are saving 10% as well, and it goes on generation after generation, as it does in their culture. Do you see why these people are so blessed? In some sense, it's the hand of God, but in another sense, it's just natural kind of common sense, isn't it? Here's the 10-10-80 plan. I was telling you about that. The Jewish people live this way. And God wanted them to save it or give it to themselves and then give it to care for the church and to give to the poor. Everything was taken care of with this system. And they tithe to the poor every third year. The last thing they would do is called the masa. The word masa is tithe. It just means a tenth. Every one of those, every one of these, although they're different, gets translated into one English word, and that English word is tithe. So tithe gets three times more emphasis than it should, and teruma gets 13 times less emphasis than it should. Anyway, the muscle was this. Every third self-tithe, so instead of tithing, to, they tithe to self twice. On the third time, every third year, they would give that tithe to the poor. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy 14. It says, every third year, which is the year of the special tithe. I think I put that there. No, that's okay. Next one. Every third year, which is the year of the special tithe, take a tithe of that year's increase and set it aside for strangers, widows, orphans, and aliens. So this was the system the Hebrew people lived by. Let me show you a scripture in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, 
do not reap to the very edges of your field. Remember the circle in the square? Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of the harvest. Do not go over the vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the aliens, for I am the Lord your God. So when God got this group of people out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom in the promised land, he was trying to create a culture of people who would show the whole world what God looks like. It was leading the way for that. And do you think right now he's trying in this area of their life, still trying, even in our lives today, for us to be a people who would show the world what God is like? to create a group of people who represent God in the world today. So essentially, when it came to worldly wealth, finances, possessions, money, anything like that, God is setting out a way for them to live, and we also need to consider that God has a way for us to live today. It might not look exactly this way, but we need to remember we are stewards of God's stuff, and we need to have a plan a plan to live on purpose and not by accident with God's stuff. Whether you want to embrace the Hebrew giving plan, the Sadaka system, there's some principles that I get from this system which I want us to take today. And the principle is this. First one, give to God first. Not an afterthought. Give like Abel. Don't give like Cain. He deserves, God deserves to be first in our lives. Amen? By doing that, we're sowing into our spiritual lives. We're sowing in, we're making our money live because we're sowing and we will reap from that spiritually. Secondly, give yourself, give to yourself for the purpose of saving for your special needs and your family's inheritance. That's a great principle. Thirdly, I get from this, give to the poor in a systematic way. So here's the central question for you today. How do you think about your stuff? How do you think about your money? Do you think about your money in a way that you worked for it and you earned it, so you do what you want with it? Or do you think about it in a way that this is a gift from God? And I'll do what God wants me to do with his money. There are two very different ways of thinking, two very different questions, and two very different ways of living. What God says to us is the best way to live is not to think that anything that I have is mine or that I own anything, but that everything belongs to him and that I'm simply a steward of something far bigger And my responsibility is simply to be a faithful steward. So all throughout history, God says to the Hebrews, since I'm in charge and you are the steward of my money, let me show you a system of how the best way is to handle money and possessions. And in that way, I'll show you the world who I am because this is my righteousness coming through you as you are a people with a generous spirit, the Sadaka. He said to them, I want you to visualize your life on a square. And when you reap a harvest in your land, don't reap to the edges of that field or gather to the gleanings of the harvest. Go over it a second time. Leave that for giving. So essentially the imagery in this is if your field is a square, he wants you to live in a circle, which is to stay within your means on 79%. He wants you to live in a circle inside a square so that you can give away the edges. True? 
So God, God's way was for them to live with 21% margin in their life. They were to live on 79% of what they made and give away the other 21% or self-tithe. Now, there's a problem with that nowadays, isn't there? Because who could actually do this? Not many people could actually live in a system like this, even if they really wanted to. And why is that? It's because many times we live above our means. We live outside the circle. We live in other people's squares even. Many people live outside the square and then into someone else's square and we take the loans and the credit cards and everything else and we can't keep up and get back into that 79%. It's almost impossible. And when you live with no margins, all it takes is one disaster to happen in our life and everything gets messed up. We have to live within margins so that when the tyre goes flat, we can afford a new tyre on the car. When we use credit cards and when we use that extra 1% in the next person's square, here's the problem. The next year, we try to pay it back. We're also paying back the interest on that. And I want to tell you what that looks like. When you get paid, every cent that God gives you gets to go into someone else's square after meeting, trying to meet all those needs, and then we still don't meet those needs in paying the bills. How does that feel? That's not God's blessing. That's not a tzedakah. It feels like that you're in bondage, true? And that's why they would write things like the, borrowers are in, the borrower is a slave to the lender. It's not freedom, it's slavery. So we live our whole life... We live on our whole square plus a certain percentage on other, ones, other people's squares and then we blame Satan and call a prayer meeting to say, God, help me. For my financial problems, we pray, God, release me from this slavery. When it comes to most of us and how we manage our money, Satan can take a vacation, amen? God says, here's a plan that has worked for many people for centuries and became an ordinary practice for the followers back then. And this was just wise for them and it was a great plan and it just worked. And many people lived financially free. And I wonder what God might say to us. Why don't you try to organise, I think he'd say, why don't you try to organise your financial life as a circle on a square? You will make my name famous because you will honour me with your first fruits. You will support your church ministry. You will have enough for your personal needs and you will build an inheritance for your children and you will be generous to the poor. They're all the kind of things we need to consider. And if you're already living in someone else's square, I wonder if God might say to you, let's begin a plan to reorganise the way that you're living and that you do your finances starting today. You have to take responsibility for it. You need to at least enter into a process now of starting to change the way you do finances. It may take some time, but at least let's make a plan and let's try. God wants us to live with the Sadaka spirit and not be in bondage, in slavery to the lender. And this system was an ordinary practice for the Jewish people, for God's people. I think that we can learn a lot of wisdom from it. 
whether it looks exactly the same as that plan or not, that's up to you. But I think that we can see a plan that works. You need to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do when it comes to your finances. We need to do what we believe the Word of God is saying to do when it comes to finances. But I'm remembering back to my high school camp, the 101080 plan, and remembering I think there was a lot of wisdom in that. And my heart behind sharing this with you today is this. I'd just love to see you living within your means. I'd love to see us all living in the 79%, living within our means, in our circle on the square, honouring God fully, supporting the poor, having everything you need. Imagine being able to give and to save and support the poor and Imagine being able to do all of these things and give your kids inheritance and so on. Imagine living on a circle and not living on someone else's square all the time. I know that the pastor who encouraged me to have the 101080 plan in giving and saving back then, when I was, I think, 17 years old back then, that's how much I've remembered, how long I've remembered this. He had a lot of wisdom. I just didn't listen hard enough. And I wish I had. And now I see it all through scripture. And I want to live in a circle on a square. So as we kind of finish up here today, I'd love us to just pray and pray a prayer like, will my master... Find me as a faithful steward with what he has entrusted me to manage for him. That's the kind of prayer I want you to pray. Can we bow our heads for a moment, invite the worship team to come as well, and we're going to sing as we finish up today. But let's just spend a moment and surrender to God and have a think about this. I told you when we started we need to put our thinking caps on. It was a little bit deep, deep thinking there today keep up with that but I trust that the Holy Spirit just speaks to you right now what does God want you to do what does God want you to do thank you Jesus let's pray Thank you for giving the way you have into our life. You, you have demonstrated the sadaka heart, the giving of, through righteousness, through Christ. Lord, thank you that you gave your son Jesus and that was the ultimate expression of generous giving and sacrificial giving. Thank you that it's within the very heart and nature and spirit of God to be a giving God and it's that same spirit that lives within us to be a sadaka people a generous people and Lord that we know that doesn't happen by accident and 
we know that it happens on purpose. And so we pray for wisdom and helping us create a plan. You've given us an example of plan in scripture, but we all know we need to develop a plan for ourselves. It's more than a budget because a budget is a worldly thing. Lord, we want to build a budget that has purpose of the, of the kingdom of God. We want to build our finances that are not even ours, they're yours, Lord. We want to do that in a way that honours you and places you at the centre. And that, Lord, whatever we do in that, you will be blessed. And Father, as we offer it to you, you'll bless everything. You'll bless the rest. So, Lord, help us see our finances more than it is just a budget or a worldly thing. We know there's a connection to our spiritual life. And so we pray as we come to this place. I know in my heart here today, I do too. I come into a place of surrender to you, Lord. I want to give it to you now. I want to give you everything. Lord, come into every little room in my house and take control of it all, Lord. You are the master. I am a steward, and Lord, I want to be found faithful. It's all you require of me to be faithful. And I pray each of us here in this church that we will be a church built on on the character of faithfulness within us, Lord. Help us be the godly people in that way, faithful people. And so, Lord, this is a new maybe um, mind shift for some of us. I know I'm always thinking and trying to get this right in my own head and I pray that as we reconsider our ways when it comes to worldly wealth Lord show us your ways and Lord if I haven't got it all right here today I know sometimes Lord we just need to get it right Lord so I pray you help us get it right by your spirit show us the way show us the way forward Lord and speak to us Lord in our in our hearts when we're trying to work it out we're living in other people's squares half the time and living in debts that we shouldn't be in and outside our means all the time and a disaster happens and Lord, we get in trouble and, and Lord, we feel defeated and we feel enslaved. And Lord, that's not what you want us to be. You don't want us to be enslaved. And I pray that each of us will create that plan and get out and get help if we need help. Some of us are in that place where we just need assistance. We need help. We need wisdom from someone else who can take us out of that square and show us a path to get out of that square and a way forward. And I pray you would just make it abundantly clear to us now, Lord, that this is an important part of our life, just as important as other areas of our life we focus on so much. And yet, Lord, the Scriptures speak about this more than any other topic about finances and possessions and how we treat it and your ways of... Lord, it was more the topic you spoke about more than any other topic. Lord, show us your ways and help us think with your thoughts and, and act in your truth, Lord. Help us in this area, God, to be blessed. We want to be a blessed people and that we can say we've been found faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.